This is the biggest paper asset bubble in U.S. stock market history. They now have to keep printing or we crash. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Live from the Vault. Hi there, my name is Shane Morand and I'll be your host for this last Live from the Vault episode of 2023. So welcome to the show that goes beyond the headlines and uncovers the truth about the precious metals industry and the effects on the global economy, especially in these historic times. We have exclusive access to experts and insiders and we reveal information, we reveal insights that you simply won't find anywhere else. Now this week, we have the one and only Andrew McGuire, precious metals expert and whistleblower in the vault. And to help him pull back the curtain, we'll be joined, get this, by popular demand by you, the Life in the Vault community. Congratulations. We've got Michael Oliver of MSA in the vault. That's right. Michael Oliver is in the vault and you're not going to want to miss this conversation. And so just before we introduce our special guest, and head over to the UK. Please help us keep spreading the word about this channel. As we wrap up 2023, hit that like button, share the information, subscribe if you haven't already done so, and then hit the bell there if you want us to notify you in real time as each episode goes live. So with that, let me tell you about Michael. Um, it's about MSA, which is Momentum Structural Analysis, his company website, and we'll put a link below is www.olivermsa.com. And with that, let's head over to the UK and talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire and our special guest, Michael Oliver. Over to you, Andy. Thanks, Shane. And thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Um, this is a real pleasure for me. Uh, I've, I've never, we've, Michael Oliver has never been on Life from the Vault before. I think, I hope this is the first of many visits. Uh, he's so well thought of, and we've had so many requests for, uh, for Michael to come on. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Thank you much, Andrew. Good to be here. Great. Well, look, I don't know this. I, I, so I'm going to cast the net out a little wider than just gold and silver today because you bring you can bring to the table some of the things which perhaps we don't often focus on. Now we've got FOMC later today. Obviously, that will be in the rearview mirror when this episode is published. But but really, it brings to mind you know the, the plate spilling plate spinning aside. Uh, what's going on with interest rates? The interest rate situation was interesting, especially this year, because as bonds bonds made a low. Low in price, high in yield last October. Okay, this is a sharp low. MSA got bearish on bonds back in October of 2020. So it was that was a, a sort of a last collapse type thing. We called for a rally then, and we got a nice rally uh, in bonds and, and the TLT ETF, which is a very popular 20-year-plus ETF of bonds. But we thought that rally would roll over again. And then we assessed everything this summer is it started to roll over. Now, at the same time it was rolling over, so was gold. It was very interesting that gold made a low in October last year, down in 1600s, US dollar terms, had a big rally back over 2000 again, as it stopped there for a third time, the ridiculous price chart selling. And bonds stopped also in early this year, in March or so. And they both started to roll over again, so they were pretty much in sync, even when you just looked at the price charts. 
which was interesting because a lot of people think oh, gold's going to be opposite to bonds. The correlation between bonds over historic periods of time, not very good. Sometimes they're in sync, sometimes they're totally out of sync. So put that in, fit that in. Uh, but they did roll over the same time early this year, and they were arm wrestled down, both of them. Gold remained in an arm wrestling decline. In other words, not a collapse, but we predicted that there would be a nuke event in the T-bond market, meaning an implosion. And sure enough, we got our implosion. What was interesting, it was in T-bonds, U.S. government bonds, not so much in municipal bonds or high-yield corporate debt, so meaning it was focused on government debt market. Now, last October, Yellen, Secretary of Treasury, expressed great distress. I think she may have even used that word about illiquidity, quote unquote, in the bond, the government bond market. This is again last year when we had to make it a low in bonds. She didn't open her peep during this recent collapse. And I know why, because if she did, it would express panic. She should have had, if she should have had panic because the, the bond market was literally in a crash type decline. Uh, it, 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 so it was with gold on the downside, but it was in crash mode. It blew out the lows of last year in price, higher yields. And I know that the Fed at that point in time, regardless of all these little data points they like to point to, was panicked. So was Yellen. They had to be panicked that their bond market, their precious debt market, was in implosion mode and illiquid. Therefore, Keep that in the back of your mind when you think about what is the Fed going to do or not do? Is it based on silly little data points that probably are manipulated or will change drastically at a given notice? Uh, usually data points don't get weak, by the way, until the stock market rolls over hard. They don't lead the market down. So that, that's a lagged indicator. But the background context for the government now is what just happened to their debt market. They can't allow that to continue. Therefore, what? They and their associate banks have to defend that market. That means they've got to buy those assets. And that means if somebody else doesn't buy enough of them, they need to fabricate the money to do so. Meaning monetary policy has to implicitly get soft again, regardless of the quote data points. That's a background context. And I think gold knows that. I think gold knows the situation that's developed both in the stock market in terms of what it's going to do long term and the fragile nature now of the government bond market. Heck, our bonds started to look like the Japanese bonds here. You know, so it's, it's a panic situation. And the central bank, regardless of whether they admit it, has to be panicked. Yeah, that's really interesting. So 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 what what what? What happens now? Obviously, um, you know, we're looking, waiting for the dot plot today. And is it one? Is it two? Is it three? I, I don't know. Um, but what happens when the Fed starts cutting rates? And, and you know, you, you've kind of described probably reasons why they have to. Um, but what, what, what do you think is going to happen? Well, it, it may not be so much the cutting of rates. It might be more. That's that's see, that's way above board. Everybody could see that. It might be the balance sheet. Mm. You know, where the, they, they don't drastically cut rates because that would indicate what? Panic. Okay. That would indicate panic. Uh, they have to be academic about that, incremental. Now, what just happened in the bond market was not incremental. That was not what the Fed wanted to see. So that, that was beyond their control, therefore panic mode. 
for what they may do is I would be watching their balance sheet. You know, what are they buying, uh, et cetera. And so that, that's where I think you'd see the softening come first. Uh, and I'm not an expert on policy tools and all that stuff, but I can see that when you've got the U.S. government bond market in crash mode, and it's now come out of it. We, in fact, we call the low pretty well. Uh, we thought there would be a V-bottom type rally because we knew damn good and well the central bank could not allow it to continue to crash. Uh, that's like a nuke event, is, which is what it, they no doubt were in there in the dark buying the stuff. You know what I mean by in the dark manipulation. Okay. Uh, uh, so anyway, and sure enough, they did enter. And I suspect also some large portfolio managers probably also saw what we saw in momentum, they saw in price, and that is this market's oversold, talking T-bonds now. And therefore, maybe that 40% of the orthodox portfolio of 60-40, you know, which was a disaster last year. Bonds went down more than stocks. But that now the bonds, or recently the bonds were low enough, exaggerated enough on the downside, where maybe it's time to shift some money over to that again. And I suspect you had some of them buying bonds as well, and justifiably so, I think, technically. Um, and sure enough, the, the linkage between bonds and gold, which had been almost week by week over the prior year, divorced itself to some extent at the recent low. When did gold bottom in the 1830s? Second week, we got a buy signal, second week off the low in October. It was trading in the 1860s. We put out a buy signal saying, okay, that process of decline that had been underway since early this year, was over for gold. Bonds did not turn up then. It was two to three weeks later and much lower in price. Bonds finally said, oh, okay, I'll join you again. So the linkage started to get a little sloppy there. Gold went up without seeing the bonds turn up. Well, now yields are starting to drop. And we're not bullish on bonds. Uh, we, we examine things primarily through momentum structure. In other words, when price chart guys look at a price chart, they're looking for what's called structure. Uptrend lines, floors that they can define, ceilings, you know, and so forth. They plot those on their price chart. We do the same thing, but we do it with momentum metrics because usually momentum will turn before price does. And right now, our long-term momentum assessment of bonds is nice rally. Yep. Yields are going to drop some. Yep. Don't expect it to sustain. The rally will go maybe a couple more months. Uh, might be enjoyable, but uh, don't get married to it. It's not a long-term rally for the bonds, I don't think. In other words, yields aren't going to continue down. Uh, but I think that's the context that gold's been looking at for the last three-plus years. In other words, it got up over 2000 in 2020, dropped back down in the high 1600s, Got back over 2000 again in 2022, dropped back down this time to the 1600s, taking out the prior lows. That got everybody bearish, not us. We said it's a bear trap. Then what did you do early this year? Back over 2000 again. And again, the price chart guys with their rulers and crayons sold at 2050, 2050, 2050, never to want to touch 2100. That's their risk. And they got a pull back into November, back down into the lower 1900s. And then we blew through that ceiling. 2100 was the, the, the breakout level in terms of price. And uh, what's happened since is to some extent to be expected, gold blew through that level in the dark Sunday night, US time, a week ago, not this Sunday, a week before. 
and went from 2100 and I, I knew just look at the price chart and any price chart technician could know, God, there got to be a lot of buy stops starting at 2100 Both the entrenched bears who've been selling 2050, 2050, 2050, mm -hmm. and longs who said, oh, golly, I better join in. And so they no doubt hit in the dark an illiquid time. And you go back, back and look at it. There's something like 50,000 contracts traded within like 45 minutes <laughs> when you hit 2100. And you were at 2150 in a heartbeat. And I understand after that, and you probably know this, Andrew, the Bank of International Settlements came in and dumped on gold. Well, at the point they did it, 2150, no doubt all the buy orders below the market had been triggered. So when that, you probably could have sold 10 contracts of gold and had it dropped because all the buying between 2100 and 2150 had been exhausted. So there was a vacuum of buy orders for at least $50. And so it collapsed from 2150 back to 2100 and went under, and you know, now we've traded under 2000 again. And no doubt all the price guys are saying, oh my God, gold's going to collapse again. They've said this like six times in the last 10 years, eight years, uh, where we've had these huge double digit percent declines that don't matter. But that was an illiquid market event in price, I think. I think that's what we saw a week ago, Sunday, Monday, and it collapsed last week. It was simply that you'd blown all the buy orders and there's not many buy orders left. Therefore, any selling at all just went down into a vacuum. I think you're starting to gel right now again, just under 2000, starting to find the brakes apply. And we're still quite bullish on gold. But the, the other thing that I think is really influential to gold and also influential to the Fed, the U.S. stock market. Unlike most stock markets in the world, you can look at Shanghai Composite, you can look at Europe. They didn't do anything like what the U.S. market did from its 2009 low to its 2021 high. S&P went up sevenfold. NASDAQ 100 went up 16-fold. And we called the top in January of 2022. We said, if you're long, be gone. Okay. Now, admittedly, after much struggle, much buying, much hope for the soft landing, we've come back up toward that price level. We don't trust the market still. We think it made a major top then. Even if it makes a marginal new high, it won't change our view. We think this market is topping. There's a problem with that for the Fed. This is the biggest paper asset bubble in U.S. stock market history. You can go back to 29 and look where it came from, from the early 20s, the percent gain it had. Look at the dot-com move from like uh, 2000, no, from the 1994 level up to 2000. Look at the percent gain you had in the S&P and NASDAQ. Nothing comparable to what we just saw between 2009, 2021. Look at the peak that occurred in 2007 in the S&P versus its bare low in 2002. It's like a double, Okay. And yet we had horrendous bear markets that followed those when the bubble broke. This bubble has to be the biggest in stock market history. Therefore, when it breaks, so many embedded errors in judgment will be ripped open. The wounds will be ripped open. Because when you're given effectively a drug, a needle in your arm, free money, you know, it's got to be a variable in most economic decisions is, what is the cost of money? Okay. You know, we build a new factory. You're going to hire more workers. Uh, does a family uh, 
move to a bigger house and have it built. All these decisions, one of the primary factors in it has to be, what's the cost of money? And if the Fed has diluted you with effectively zero cost of money for eight out of those 11 years, uh, you made some mistakes. And, you know, both at a micro level and corporate level, government spending level. Uh, and when those get ripped asunder, and I think they will be, when they're exposed, the unraveling will be horrendous. Well, what does that mean? Central bank has to go back to try to defend the breaking bubble. They do it every single time. Go back to 2000 when we talked. Uh, we got bearish in January 2000. The market didn't actually peak S&P until August of 2000. It floundered around. The Fed cut rates the first day of trading, January 2001, and they cut rates all the way down. The market collapsed despite their rate cuts. In fact, if you just shorted when the Fed cut rates after having a couple of years been rising rates, in January 2001, they cut rates. If you just shorted right there, you'd be a big winner. What happened in 2007, Tom? We floundered around all year. And many of the major subsectors like banks, financials were starting to ooze and ooze and ooze. But the S&P stayed lateral. In September of 2007, was near its high, up around uh, 1,500, 1,550. Punched through because the Fed cut interest rates in the latter half of September 2007 by a half a basis point. Again, they've been raising rates up through 2006. They cut rates, and the market had like a four-week vertical rally into October of 2007. That was the top. Fed cut rates for the next couple of years, market crashed didn't help, but they had to shift policy. And our bet is because of the nature of the size of this bubble, the mention of the up move that preceded, the age of the bubble, the errors committed, that once it comes unraveled again, the Fed will have to panic like they've never panicked before. Now they even have new incentives. Their bond market is illiquid. What does that mean for gold? Well, I mean, it, thumbs up. Yeah, I think what's, you've covered so many interesting topics there. And I think, so from a stock market perspective, I guess really most of the operators in the stock market, they they either, those that hadn't jumped out of a building, out of the roof in a building in, in 2008, um, weren't there. These, these guys are mostly out of college, new traders, and they believe that they can just keep chasing this in fact, if they don't chase it, obviously they're competing with every other fund. And if they underperform, they're out. So they all have to race at the same time. But as you say, you're reaching a point, unprecedented point here. Um, and when it does collapse, and, and, and I hear you, it has to. Um, let's say a lot of money's got, how many, what's going to be wiped out here? You know. What, what's the consequence? Well, it, it, I'm not sure how deep the next stock market bear will be, but it'll be possibly the issue for it will be protracted depth as opposed to quick down and turn back up again, which everybody thinks that's the pattern. Go back and look at 1929 to 32. It took two decades. Mm. Yeah, 21 years to get back and reachieve the price highs that were seen in 29. It took two decades, okay? So, in fact, after the 2000 top, S&P was 1550 plus, okay? 
where did it peak in 2007? 1550 plus. So it really didn't even take out the highs from 2000 to 2007. It wasn't until, you know, mid-decade that it finally took out the 2000 high and the 2007 high. So a protracted process. Uh, but the pain should be terrific. Now, we remember the 2008-9 collapse and the pain that the average person on the street felt. And despite the fact that it was only a doubling of the S&P from its bare low in 2002 to its 2007 high. So it wasn't that big of, a, of, a, of an error process. And it wasn't that long. We're talking only four or five years of upside. We've just had 11, 12 years. Now we're 13 years off that low plus, And we're floundering around. In fact, most indices, if you look really under the cover, to quit looking at the S&P, which really is to say Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, you know, <laughs> three or four stocks explain the S&P 500. Most of the stock market indices, sectors, except tech, which again is heavily bloated by half a dozen symbols, are laying in the lower half of the range of the last two years. They're not near the highs. So the market isn't as good looking as the S&P appears to be. So that's fooling people. And you're right. It is a contagion because, see, asset managers, it's not whether they're making money or not. It's whether they're doing better than their peers. So everybody's losing money. Okay, you're good if you're not losing as much. Okay. And if you're really not making money, but you're going sideways, at least if everybody else is going sideways, you're not in jeopardy. So they have to chase the upside, whether they believe it or not. And an interesting anecdotal thing, the soft landing notion which has come to the fore, you know, for the last, what, six months or so, uh, was a term that occurred at the 2000 top. It was a popular term used then that, oh, we're going to have a soft landing. So they resurrected it. Of course, it didn't work then. But anyway, so I, that's what we see in the background for gold. Because if these primary asset categories, such as T-bonds, are now questionable in terms of their integrity, trend integrity, yeah, they're having a nice rally now. But if the stock market was just laboring where it was a year ago and a year before that even, you could almost go sideways. It's really not making money, especially most sectors. And if it starts to roll over again, oh gosh, where are you going to go? Well, we know what the central bank's going to have to do. They're going to have to get soft again, big time. Because the implosion this time will be big time because of the nature of the error. The beneficiary of that is the monetary metals, gold and silver. And uh, that, that's why I think gold continues. People don't understand why. Why is gold doing this? Keeps coming back to 2000. Breaks down. Keeps coming back to 2000. Gold's never topped that way. You go back and look at 50 years of gold price history. Look at the 2000 uh, top, uh, uh, no, excuse me, the 1975 top after it became legalized, went from the 30s up to 200. Sharp top. You know, you didn't fool around. Go back to the 2011 top. You got over 1920. We got bearish in January of 2012, a couple months off the high, stayed bearish till 2015. But from that high, over 1900, you dropped down into the 15s and spent the next year floundering between high 1500s and high 1700s. Could never get back to the high. It was over 1900. This time, in summer of 2020, we got up to 2050 on a rounded $50 basis. 2050 again in 2022. 2050 again early this year. And they keep selling it there, selling it there. This isn't a gold top. That's not the way it tops. Uh, it, you know, it, 
period. That's a congestion zone. Uh, and, and people don't seem to realize that. All they see are the breaks. They don't see the context of it. Why does it keep coming back up? I think you could probably ask somebody like Ray Dalio why that's the case. Uh, Bridgewater Associates. You know, he made a statement like a year ago. I like to quote it to get it right. Uh, quit looking at the price of your stock. Instead, look at the underlying value of your money unit, meaning the underlying decaying value of your money unit, which has been ongoing and ongoing and ongoing decade after decade, still ongoing this decade. Uh, that's what I think is driving gold, is the knowledge, the foreknowledge. It doesn't wait for events. Gold doesn't wait. It knows ahead of time. It's been around 3,000 years, guys. T-Bond's been around, what, 100? You know, okay, so it's not S&P since 1950. So, so the point being, it's a wise market. It's not a follower. It leads. It anticipates. And I think its prime focus is always on the degradation of the money unit. And that's what the Fed's going to have to do again. Either that or let it burn. And they're not going to let it burn. That's really interesting, Michael. I think, you, again, you've, you've covered so much ground here. I think uh, I just pick up a couple of threads here. And I think... We, we've got to have you on again. I'll tell you why. Um, what you just mentioned, I mean, many reasons, but what we just mentioned, you said that in October, October, November um, of 2022, um, while everyone was forecasting uh, from 1,618 gold, which, where it was bottoming out at that point, but a lot of people, a lot of technical analysts were chasing uh, 1,500 to 1,000 to 1,100 bucks. And 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 the reason that the reason and one of the things you've said is yeah, but us as momentum, as a momentum analyst, as somebody who looks completely differently, as uh, at, the, at the charts and at the uh, the pressure signals that are, you're, you're you're picking up, realized that that was not that was a bottom, and I think what is interesting because that confluences exactly you know we're on the wholesale side of the market. We, we, we interact with first liquidity providers. Um, and it, what's interesting is that that's exactly the point. Uh, November 2022 was exactly the point that the Bank in International Settlements covered all its uh, 500 plus tons of uh, swaps, shorts, essentially against gold. And then we, we, we evidenced central banks coming in. Uh, it was a perfect buy, a buy point. So obviously, from a momentum perspective, it's so interesting to me because we saw it in a different way. But the, the confluence of those two things really gets my attention because we, we evidenced a $350 rally virtually with no pullbacks at that point. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunately, that's just the nature of that's true with any market, really. It's not just gold. I mean, you look at the stock market from 2009 to 2021. Go back and look at that. Look at an S&P, let's say a monthly or weekly bar chart, just price. And count the number of times where there was a double-digit percent decline, and yet it didn't end the bull market. Okay? Yet most stock investors don't get bearish. You know, it takes hell and high water to get them bearish. But gold, anytime there's a, a, a right, right now, we've just had a 7% drop. Okay, 7%. Wow. The number of times we've had a 7% drop in a couple of weeks in gold since this bare low in 2015, and we got bullish February 2016 based on annual momentum, not price. Price then was 1140. Okay, We've not changed our view based on annual momentum analysis. 
You've had that drop that occurred from the 2050 level in March of 2022 to the September, October low at 1613, which is like a double digit percent drop. Like I think it was about 20. What is that exactly? Anyway, uh, and it even blew out. If you look at a price chart of gold, you had repeated lows between those two peaks, the 2022 peak and the 2022 peak above 2000. They were at 1670 area, 1670, 1670. So when you broke below there late summer last year and dropped down to 1613, that was an extra 3% drop added to the overall break. But you blew some price structure. Now, you didn't break anything on momentum, but you broke a price structure. And so at least the price guys had an excuse to sell it there. But now, if you look at this pullback, well, heck, we just had a low in October at 1830-something. Okay? That's the last pivotal low there. And we had another pivotal low in the low 1900s, but last month, it wasn't a big pullback, but it was a low. And now we're trading 1990 or something like that. So we're not even taking out a prior price low. And yet everybody's panicked to hell again. The gold's no good. You know, it's going to go to whatever. Like <laughs> It's no good. Uh, how come it keeps coming back up here? This is not the way gold tops. Therefore, it's telling you something. And I think what it's telling you is, is some of the ideas I, I passed along. Now, there's a point at which, too, and this is, remember, the gold bull market's now eight years old. It started from uh, December 2015, so it's not a young bull market. But if you go back and look, for example, between the early 1970s and the 1980 peak, where gold went from the 30s up to finally 850 over a decade. Mm -hmm. And then look at the lows it made in 2000, 2001, around 250, and went up to 1920 between you know, over the next decade, basically. Those are like eight plus fold increases in price in the bull markets. But in the last year of those bull trends, that's when most of the money was made percentage-wise. In other words, if you come in late and joined in, you still made a lot of money in terms of the percent gain. The verticality occurred then. Much of the bull markets up to that point were arduous arm wrestling processes, like we've seen from 2015 up through the 2020 highs. Full of sell-offs, it's topping, it's topping, it's topping. No, it's not, but it has continued pullbacks that fool everybody. It's been arm wrestling, and yet it doubled. And now that we're getting late in the trend, it's time to be thinking about the drama of these fundamentals that I've been discussing. And therefore, if that stock market starts to roll over from this soft landing rally, and I'll give you a number. We're very specific with our subscribers, but I'll give you a ballpark number. Right now we're trading, last I saw was 45.50 level. Okay, You better not get back down into the 4380s and certainly not under 4300. Now, if you look at a price chart, on the S&P, doesn't mean anything because the low we made prior to the recent rally was around 4,100 and the low of the 2002 bear low was, 2022 low was 3,500. So you get a low of 3,500, then a recent low of 41. So getting back to 4,300 won't upset the price guys, but annual momentum will blow a floor out at that point. They'll add another sell signal. And I'm arguing if you have that percent drop, and you were talking like 6 7% drop, that's all. If you arm wrestle your way back down there anytime next quarter or next year, expect the bottom to come out and the next phase of the decline to begin. That's when I think 
that you're going to see a lot of major asset managers begin to reallocate assets to some category that's behaving well. And a lot of them have already recognized gold markets behaving well. They may not understand why, but I mean, you know, last year we had a 30-something drop, percent drop in bonds, a 22% drop S&P, a 30% drop in NASDAQ, and yet gold was unchanged on the year. 1820s, so we're close 2021. How come? How come gold was unchanged? Fed was, quote, fighting inflation, right? Okay, now we're trading near 2000. Fed's still been, quote, fighting inflation, yet gold's up to 2000 again, this time in a pullback. That stock market starts to roll over and you spook the asset managers. They're going to be scrambling around for some category that looks stable. They don't care what's going up, just stable. <laughs> Give them something stable. And they're going to see gold. And I think they're going to see the gold miners and silver. That's when it's late in the bull trends. Like in the, for example, if you go back and look at 1979 to 1980, gold went into explosive mode. That's when silver really went berserk. Late in the bull trend. Same thing happened in the early 1970s up through the 1975 peak. Silver went berserk late in that move. And then again, in the late part of the, the bull market that ended in 2011, in 2010, silver went berserk. So it's always in the latter part of an aged bull trend that silver suddenly got its guts together and beat gold. Uh, it, so in other words, it wasn't an ongoing process all during the bull trend where silver beat gold. That wasn't the case. Silver would mess you up all during that time. You know, gold would dip a bit, silver drop more. And so gold go back up, gold, silver go back up some. But it wasn't until late in the bull trend, and I think that's the phase we're about to enter, where the more ballistic move starts to occur. And that's when I think silver, and especially the miners, will suddenly begin to outperform gold in a big way. It's interesting you should mention silver because um, obviously we view it from, from fundamentally as the most undervalued uh, commodity on the planet Earth. Um, and, and it really is. And, and, and again, I, I see you nodding. I, I'm sure you agree with this. But and so you, th you from a momentum perspective and, and obviously without giving anything away, uh, Michael, um, do you see silver uh, at a point or close to a point at 87 to one virtually today? Uh, I mean, good God, 87 ounces of silver to buy an ounce of gold. I mean, anyway, it, it makes the head spin sometimes. Um, and especially when we see, we look into the, we deal with the wholesale markets all the time and we see Indian buying and Chinese silver buying at its strongest in all of 2023. And yet we see the price, the paper price of silver at sub 23 spot at times. I mean, to me, wh where do you see um silver from just from a momentum perspective um and do you see it outperforming gold yes i do now there's a way that we measure that and like you're looking at the ratio between silver and gold we we do it slightly different way we measure a price of silver divided into gold as a percent of the price of gold so right now for example silver is worth about 1.1 percent of the price of gold mm -hmm. over the last 50 years if you measure that relationship it's been as high as six and a half percent. And okay, we'll take that and exempt that. That was a rarity. But all the peaks over the last, let's say, 20 years, it keeps coming back up to two and a half to three and a half percent of the price of gold. 
It's almost routine. It's not, in other words, it's not an aberrational level to go to. Well, if we're at 1.1% right now, the price of gold and silver went up to 2.5% of the price of gold. Even if gold were just here, silver would explode off the page. But see, our assumption is gold's going to probably and possibly outdo this. But the prior bull markets in gold over the period span of you know, 8, 10, 9, nine 10 years, uh, the, the peak in two, 1980, for example, the peak in 2011, were like eightfold plus. Okay, well, we started from a low at $1,050. If gold has another eight-fold move, which would be sort of like, oh, I did it again, would be $8,000 gold. And for the factors I've been discussing, the stock market paper implosion, uh, illiquidity in the bond market, gold could easily do that. It's got the fundamentals out there to do it. And I think it's got the technicals. But if gold went to 8000 and silver went to 2% of that, or 2.5%, again, which routinely, if you look at a historical chart of that, that spread relationship, it's done it so many times, it's almost like, eh, no big deal. Well, silver would be a couple hundred dollars an ounce, okay? So I don't think that's outlandish to expect that. And again, our examination of the prior bulls was that that occurs, that sudden wake up by silver occurs late in the bull trend, and it goes berserk. Uh, poor man's gold, okay? Uh, I think that'll occur again. Now, what we measure, though, is not only do we plot that spread, where silver closed this week in relation to gold? Oh, it's 1.13%. Okay, we plot each week or each month. And you get a chart. And that really is sort of a price chart because we're measuring price versus price. Okay. But we also run momentum studies of that price action. And they give you a slightly different picture. In other words, what you look at on the spread chart, you say, gee, if we just get up to this level, it's breaking out. But we look at momentum, and I'll throw out a number for you. Right now, we're 1.1 something. Silver, the price of gold, 1.1%, thereabouts. 1.15, I think, is exactly what we're doing. 1.115, yeah, 1.115. Anyway, 1.3% will break out momentum big time of that spread relationship. So, for example, back in the 2020 surge, your gold went from what a pullback low in March of 2020 at 1400 got up over 2000 So nice percent move. But silver doubled. So the silver spread to gold exploded into 2020 and didn't peak till 2021. Silver was about 30 bucks at that point. Still at its highs, gold wasn't quite. But the spread peaked then. And since 2021, that spread has done this. Staircase down, not collapse. Just arm wrestle its way down where you could like draw a channel. And on momentum, you could plot structures as well. But it says right now, all you have to do is get back up to about 1.3% and game's on again. In other words, silver's likely to then reassert itself versus gold. Same thing happened late in those two prior bull trends. You could have plotted the spread relation between silver and gold, and it alone would have told you we're about to go accelerated mode. Not just in the spread, but in the net price of both metals. So I think what you need to watch for there is the spread relationship between silver and gold moving up to about where silver an ounce is worth about 1.3% the price of gold. At that point, it's helmet time. I think we're about to engage the dynamic phase. And I think the same is true for the miners. We plot the same kind of technical relationship. I was going to ask you about the miners, uh, uh, Michael, because I know you, you, you uh, follow them. Again, with your um, with your uh, proprietary systems, 
And um, it just seems, it just seems to me, uh, and again, I'm not really um, an expert on, on the minor side of things, but, but essentially, I mean, obviously I understand how it works, but, but essentially one really needs to have a real focus on, um, on, on those miners if you're going to trade them. But, but to me, again, much like silver, and, and, and almost, I almost hear you saying miners and silver together. Um, so again, the un, how undervalued, and again, you see this as a time to be thinking about getting into miners. Yes, um, we're watching that spread relationship for the signal that says, okay, miners are going to be gold again. Because if you go back and again, look at the like from 2019 to mid-2020, uh, GDX, any, any miner ETF you want to pick, beat the pants off gold on a percent term, the game. And over the process since the 2020 highs in the spread relationship and price, you've seen these mining ETFs ratchet their way down. And while gold's back to its high, the miners aren't. So you, you can tell that, you know, they've underperformed over the last couple of years. But we just did a report on Newmont and Barrick the other day, for example, and those are the two big blue chips, you know. And that's the ones you watch for any sign of upturn. And we're starting to see the sign, actually, uh, based on momentum. Um, that big asset managers are starting to move into the mining sector. And that would be primarily focused, not in like juniors, they wouldn't fool with that stuff, but they'd be looking at the big blue chips. So that's why we're watching Barrick and, and Newmont, especially for a sign that they're bottoming because they're lagged to gold right now. Gold bottom, as far as we're concerned in October. And it was only last month's close in Newmont and Barrick that caused us to begin to get bullish again on the miners. And we're trading around where that breakout level was right now. Pull back a little bit. But actually, if you look at Newmont's price right now and go back to its bare low in 2015 and look how much gold is versus that gold doubled, Newmont's still, I think, 148% above that low. So, yes, it's had a huge pullback in performance and in net price since it's, what, $90 high it made or whatever it was uh, back a couple of years, a year and a half ago. So it's had a big underperformance drop and a price drop, but it's still beating gold when you can go back to the beginning of the bull to the current price. So you, you need to be aware of those bigger things because it's always an, in, an important issue. Where did you get in before you start to scream? Now, if you bought gold at 2000 or 2100 the other day, you're probably screaming. But if you got long gold at primary entry points, like 11, uh, 1140 gold in 2016, we had another buy signal at 1800 gold in late 2018. No, excuse, yeah, but uh, yeah, but 1800. Uh, then you're not, you know, you can take these pullbacks because you got in at the right point. So unfortunately, a lot of people get in based on price. And so a lot of people think got their buy stop elected at 2100. So they're bleeding right now. Well, unfortunately, that was not an optimal entry point because it was price based. You need momentum based entries. But anyway, yes, I think the miners will again reassert themselves. Uh, and it's a measurable thing. We measure the spread relationship to, to gold, like we do silver to gold, and the momentum of that spread. And it won't take a lot of upticks, that minimal, in the relative performance of the miners right now, for instance, we measure GDX versus gold more routinely, to where we can say, okay, the shift is again occurring. Miners are going to beat gold, much like what happened in that 2020 explosion. So I think we're, we're near that point, but we're not there yet. And we will let everybody know. 
Well, that, that's really interesting too. Um, and I think one of the uh, one of the things that really we've been following this year is that, and, 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 I, and I'm, I know you're aware of it, but I noticed that many many of the traders, the commodity trading advisors, siloed inside this casino environment. They have no view of anything physical. In fact, Bloomberg did a piece the other day um, that suggested that indicated that they populate something like seventy percent of all crude trades. Um, and, and the CTAs currently, um, uh, uh, their positions are larger than British Petroleum, Shell and Koch combined. Um, and what's interesting is, is that these, these are momentum driven, they're, they're wrong at both ends, but they, they'll chase it until it breaks. And I think this was what this uh, uh, Bloomberg um, article was about. But they also, what was interesting is it's rare to see a mainstream media uh, outlet like Bloomberg mention gold, and they say, "Oh yeah, these guys are also equally active in gold, and increasingly so." And it could be up to eighty-five percent of their trades. Uh, in other words, they, what, what we call the casino chips—you know, really not nothing physically deliverable—but they 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 don't want ever for physical delivery because, I mean, obviously, for, if you're trading oil. Um, the only time that, that there was a problem, I think, where you didn't want delivery was when it dropped below zero, <laughs> zero a barrel. But I mean, but it, what's interesting is that gold was was on the 1st of January 2023, gold was reclassified uh, by Basel III and SFR standards as a first year asset class, meaning that the liquidity providers in the spot markets, the over-the-counter markets, had to have physical to back each ounce up. And that kind of changed the game a bit because being classified as a first-tier asset class started to compete with US Treasuries. So, and even then on Bloomberg, not that long ago, there was a sudden talk about, yeah, we need some, people are looking for real assets, real assets. Well, as you've just described, gold is a real asset. And it is competing to some degree with US Treasuries. So these CTAs, that are so active in the uh, paper gold market, some of them have split ranks and said, you know what, we need a legitimate hedge for our risk positions and are sticky and unrinsable because they're using gold as a proper hedge. Interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, the situation with gold also from the point of view of intervention, and I know you a lot about behind the scenes type stuff, manipulation, uh, doesn't ultimately work out for governments. Like for instance, I remember during the 19, 1980 bull market gold, the late seventies, where it was global stagflation. Okay, the world sucked, okay? And yet gold went up, how come it went up? And yet interest rates were rising sharply during that time, the whole time, so people couldn't figure that out either. Uh, but gold went up and commodities followed to some extent. But there were massive IMF gold sales. You know, they were dumped tons and tons in announced auctions. Uh, you know, I think it was to raise money for emerging markets or something, whatever the excuse. But the point is they dumped in large quantity, and yet that didn't stop gold. It originally, in the, in the process of their sales, you'd get a sell-off. But then later in the bull trend, it didn't even care. Gold didn't even flinch when they dumped the gold. Finally, the IMF quit. So any manipulation, subtle or open or whatever, ultimately, there's a point at which 
all that's succeeded in doing is compressing gold probably into a more dynamic resolution. Meaning you've kept me down, you've kept me down from where I should be, boom. But it finally burst loose. That's why it goes berserk because it's been manipulated for so long and finally overcomes the barriers. And that's when it goes vertical. So to some extent, you should thank intervention because it compresses the situation. It compresses reality. Okay. And, and gold is reality. You know, it, it is not something that's going to go away. Okay. Anyway, that's uh, uh, probably where we are again, right about now. Uh, gold has only doubled over eight year period. And I strongly suspect there's a lot, lot more. And I think it'll be compressed in a shorter period of time. And I even think it may mostly be done in 2024. It would not surprise me to see most of the move compressed into one year. Uh, because these events that we're looking at, you know, for instance, if you get a 6% rollover in the stock market, S&P now, again, a distorted index. But if you get a 6% rollover in it, it's gone. By the way, you got to watch another market. Few people do. We've defined a level on the Shanghai composite. Remember, the global economy is like 46% U.S. and China, okay? Heck, the rest of the world. Mm. As China goes, we go. And that, that People don't understand that. If you'll take an S&P chart, go back like three or four years, and take a Shanghai comp chart, monthly price chart, you'll see there's a good synchronization between when they make peaks, when they pull back, when they turn up. Uh, and lately, there's been a slight divergence because we've had a, a Fed anticipation rally. Remember that rally I described in 2007 when they cut rates, you had like a four-week, oh, happy party, okay? Well, we've had a happy party thing, anticipation of the Fed not going to raise rates. That's all the market really wants to hear. And so the S&P's rallying. But if you roll back over, it's going to start to implode. Well, Shanghai had a level that we defined via momentum several months ago. We said 3,000 on the Shanghai broke through an annual momentum floor that would signal the next leg of decline in Shanghai. We already signaled another one in early 22, coincident with the S&P. It had a drop just like the S&P and rally back up like the S&P to the summer size, just like S&P did. S&P rolled back over, Shanghai did. Now the S&P said this additional rally, Shanghai really hasn't, it's floundered. Where? Either side of 3,000. It won't close a month at or below. You're below it now. How many days left in the month? You close Shanghai below 3,000 this month. I think Shanghai is saying, okay, any recovery effort I've had, stability I've had for the last year or so, gone. We're headed south. And I make you a bet, S&P is not going to divorce. It's going to do it soon as well, despite its distorted index with five, six symbols. But the Shanghai is saying, uh-uh, I'm ready to go down now. You ready, S&P? And that's the point at which I think when the perception hits investors and asset managers that, oh gosh, this is, we fooled ourselves. That's when they're going to seek out the category that is performing the best. That's absolutely fascinating, Michael. And I think, um, so, so when you, on your service that you offer, um, so you, do you cover, I mean, obviously you're covering this momentum um, aspect as well as a comprehensive view, um, but do you even, I mean, do you get subscribers asking about Bitcoin, about cryptos at all? Yeah, we do a Bitcoin report as well. Yeah, we do Bitcoin every two weeks. Uh, we were bullish on Bitcoin some months ago. 
And we had a target uh, of this advance, probably 45,000 to upper 40,000 as a place to, if you're long, uh, you better get cautious above 45,000. I'll be done. They just traded over there, what, a week ago? Now they're trading 41,000. So they hit our target zone where likely a good place to take profits and get questionable about the recent surge. Uh, not bearish, just, uh, you know, it's time to step aside. Mm. So we got a good move. Uh, in fact, we projected 45,000 plus as a target level when it was trading at 36,000. So like a, like a month ago. Uh, and it got to our target and got whacked. Now, whether that leads to a sustained decline, we uh, won't say that right now. But yes, we measure all major asset categories, including the uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, bond markets, stock markets globally, uh, commodity markets broadly, emphasis gold and silver, and uh, debt markets. So all four major asset categories, foreign exchange as well. Uh, and it's important to do that because, like you said, if, if you're, you're doing this with gold, you're, you're missing something. Because it's these huge tectonic plates that are moving around, like my argument about the S&P. If it rolls over again and enters a bear trend that everybody sees at that point because uh, of price, uh, that's going to impact gold because money's got to go somewhere. Uh, and the, the bond market is uh, it's nice right now, but, you know, it's somewhat questionable because it's proven itself to be illiquid. Okay. So when you survey the, the asset categories and you see, gee, gold keeps staying up here, it's steady. You know, and if I doubt it on the sell-offs, it continues to come back up. Uh, that's you can have money move. So watching the stock market is important, even if you're not in it, because it will impact gold. Uh, and also the Forex markets, uh, dollar index, for example, everybody's preoccupied. Well, what's a dollar index doing because that impacts gold? Well, over the last year or two, there's been a fairly tight inverse correlation, you know, where the dollar's rallying, gold will be selling off. But really, it doesn't fit over the longer span. The longer span, the dollar really has been in slabs of decline over the last uh, 40, 50 years. You know, it was traded up at 160 and it dropped to a low of 70, got back to 115 recently, now we're at 103. Uh, it's, a, it's a major glacial decline. But it will enter a new phase of decline next year. When we get into next year, you better not be fooling around around where we are right now and certainly not dip much under 100 when you get into next year because there's some massive momentum structures, not, not evident on price, that will break. And it will argue that, okay, this floundering we've seen by the dollar is going to break down. Now, and also if you go back to just an example of the point I made about the lack of correlation over time, Go back to December 2015, you bought gold at 1,050, let's say, right at the low, okay? It's doubled, okay? Dollar index in December 2015 was trading just below 97. You've made 6 7%. So dollar's actually gone up in a zigzag manner versus 2015 low, while gold is doubled. So if you're looking for the dollar to be the rationale for uptrend in gold, you're looking at the wrong place. Now, it may contribute to the up, further upside in gold once the dollar starts to weaken sharply. But really, on a glacial investment scale point of view, it's not been a good, a good metric to look at. Fascinating. And I think, Michael, um, you've dropped in some, some real nuggets there. Now, for, for people that want, we're going to put a link to your, to your website, obviously. But for people who, um, who want to uh, subscribe to your service, um, to me, what, what you're talking about here it's about education, 
It's about all of us wanting to make better decisions and, and to have information uh, like you're talking about here, which is which is so vital in, in when you want to make a decision, you want all the pieces or as many of the pieces of the puzzle as you can. And I think that so I'm encouraging people to come and land on your or your website to inquire about your service. The link is going to be in this uh, episode. But I want to thank you so much for joining us today and spending an hour of your valuable time with us. Um, it, it was really a blast. And thank you very, very much. Thank you, Andrew. I look forward to it. Thank you, Andrew McGuire and Michael Oliver, for another fascinating discussion. And for the last time this year, 2023, remember, buy physical, buy physical. Make sure it's backed one-to-one with physical, 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 all right? And, and, and also understand the difference between what Andy affectionately calls the casino paper, gold, and silver markets and the actual physical gold and silver markets. They're not the same, uh, so don't be fooled with that. Uh, so there you have it. That's all we have for you this year for another episode of Life in the Vault. So please, again, keep spreading the word into the new year about this channel by hitting that like button, share this information, and if you haven't already subscribed, subscribe and hit the bell if you'd like to be notified as each episode goes live. And with that, we'll see you right here next year in 2024 on Live from the Vault. See you then.